whatever, and you just can't hear it as well. And so I think tonight it would be good if we pray that, that we want to just allow our spirits to yield unto the Spirit of God, and we want Him to fill us. And not only that, but we want to have a sensitivity unto Him, that when He does speak to us, that we are willing to listen to Him no matter how crazy it sounds, no matter how wild it seems in our life, that, that, that what He has told us is there. I, I think that we can pray that tonight, and we can believe that God can take some of the things out of our ears that might have clogged up that, that ability to hear, that ability to, to yield unto Him tonight in Jesus' name. So let's just lift our hands and let's pray that tonight. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. I pray for myself as well, God, that every one of us, Lord, if we are having troubles hearing you tonight, God, if there are troubles inside of our lives, God, if we have not yielded unto things that you have asked us to be yielded unto, God, I pray that you would give us direction, God, and you would give us the strength, God, to yield ourselves unto you tonight, God. Lord, we want to be sensitive to you, God, and we want to hear what you want us to hear, God, and we want you to be the one that leads and guides our lives, God, and I pray that we are able to push our flesh aside, God, so that we can listen to you, God, and what you have to say here tonight, Lord. Begin to speak unto us, God, and begin to put that desire in our hearts, God, to serve you, God, with depth, God, to serve you with passion and with a desire God. Lord, we believe tonight, God, that you can do that, God. Lord, that you can take out all of that hearing loss, God, and that you can begin to put spiritual sensitive ears on our flesh, Jesus. And Lord, we believe that through you, God. And we are thankful for what you are doing here tonight, God, and what you're going to do in this Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just thank him for thank you, allowing Jesus. us to hear that. In Jesus' name. Brother Fitzner, Brother Fitzner, can we just take another minute tonight? This morning we got word that the Knudsen family, he pastors in Polson, Montana, that they woke up this morning to their house on fire. And so nobody was hurt, thank God. But um, you know how that's going to work because of the displacement and all of the things that have to take place for that. So many of you, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but Brother and Sister Knudsen have been faithful people in this district for a long time and I appreciate them I talked to him this morning and he was upbeat as usual and believing God but I told him and assured him that we would be praying for them and that God would help them and comfort them during this time would you pray for them um, the Knutson family in Jesus name let's pray in Jesus name Father in the name of Jesus yes right now Lord God we're believing for your special touch upon them right now in Jesus name for strength yes that, Lord God, that you are going to provide, Lord God, and you're going to help in Jesus' name. But I just pray for a special touch of comfort here tonight in their family and in everything, Lord God, that's going on up there in Jesus' name. And God, as always, I expect that to happen, Lord God. I believe it's happening even right now in Jesus' name. And I give you the praise and the glory for it. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. seated tonight in Jesus name we are thankful for you all being here tonight we're thankful to have sister Carnahan with us again I know she's starting to feel better because before the church door even closed I heard questions coming and uh, 
I was prepared for some of them in Jesus' name. So we love Sister Carnahan and having her in church with us in Jesus' name. We're so thankful for that. So uh, tomorrow night, um, there is a ladies' Bible study at uh, 7 o'clock. I almost forgot that, forgot to mention that. But if you're a lady and want to participate in that, uh, please see Sister Carnahan. You can enjoy uh, some fun and fellowship with the ladies tomorrow night. Um, men, if you missed the meeting this last weekend, there will be one in a, a month from now that you can uh, participate in and uh, always have some good times, some good things going on inside of the church and uh, things to be involved with in Jesus' name. And so um, tonight we are going to continue our lesson series. And uh, this, this lesson here tonight, um, if you talk about yielding your spirit unto God, um, this lesson tonight is probably going to do that at some point, I, I, I would expect. There's many depths inside of this lesson, and there's many, uh, I would say, kind of tough matters that if we are uh, dealing with any of these things in our lives, this might impact us in a certain way. And if you're, you're perfect in all these things, then maybe you won't have to worry about it tonight in Jesus' name. But uh, I'm like many of you, and I have work to do in my life with the word love and things like that. And so um, the first lesson of this, we learned about how love is that, that kind of fluffy thing that we, we know about, and it's a good thing and that sort of stuff. And then last week we talked about uh, sometimes we have to have tough love towards one another. And then this week, we're going to learn about how love means to serve. And uh, serve is a word that many of us could probably say, man, I don't like that part of it, or even the, the part of uh, love that includes the word sacrifice. And uh, these are two S words that we, we don't like to say, we don't like to participate in, but tonight is going to kind of be a reality check inside of some of those things in Jesus' name, and probably not stuff that you haven't heard before, but again, good stuff that it's good to remind ourselves of. And so I do want to kind of throw out just a little bit of a, um, a, a pre-warning on this, that I, I am not, th this lesson here is kind of geared towards somebody who has maybe been very developed inside of the kingdom of God, or somebody who has been um, working with God for quite a while. I think that if you're brand new to God, there's certainly things here that will apply to you as well. But uh, these things that I'm saying here tonight, I don't want people to think that they instantly come into the church and have to be going 100 miles an hour, because that, that is not true. Um, I, I totally, totally believe that when somebody walks in these church doors that they can receive the Holy Ghost and that sort of thing. But there's also a time period where you have to look at your brothers and sisters and learn from them and learn from how are they worshiping God. If, if somebody doesn't know how to worship God, well, they're going to have to learn from somebody else. And if they don't know how to pray, they're going to have to learn how to pray from somebody else. And we're going to have to teach them uh, those things as well. And so it's like the scripture talks about that there's some things that are milk. And when you come into the church, you're, you're kind of a babe, you're a child, and you begin to drink that milk. But after you've been in the church for a certain amount of time, now it's time to start eating some things, some substances that are a little bit more pertinent towards your, 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 uh, your, your living for God and, and some things that might be a little bit stronger. And so um, the, these things apply to both of those sides, but I just want to throw that out here tonight that I'm not saying that somebody has to run a million miles an hour when they first get in the church, but I am saying that these are things that we should have um, inside of our lives. And so it's a cool lesson. I think you all are going to enjoy it tonight, and uh, we're going to dive into it here and just let God lead us through it in Jesus' name. So we're talking about the DNA of a disciple, the DNA of love tonight. And so these past two lessons, we've been learning about how if we want to be a disciple, we have to love people, right? And how do they know that we're Christians? Love one for another. Yes, you brought it out last time, brother, and bringing it up again. Amen. Sister Carnahan. 
I'm on lesson 2.3. Yes, ma'am. 2.3. Or 3.3. Sorry, 3.3. Is that the right, right one? Let's see. The endurance of love. Let's see if this is the right scripture. Oh, my remote's not on. Yes. Yes, this one that we're on right now. Yes. All right. There you go. 3.3, everybody. We are on the right one here. Yes. Jesus' name. Oh. Oh. Yeah, I guess I just make that number up because my book doesn't have it either. <laughs> so you see how this works. That, that's forgiveness right there. So, yeah, Jesus' name. No. Yes, she is. <laughs> we can give Sister Carnahan a round of applause for being back in Jesus' name. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Yes. All right, we are on the right one here. Awesome. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 through 8. We've read the scriptures before this, so I'm not going to really dive deep into those again. But these scriptures here say it's talking about charity and what charity is and, and what it's, it's read at many um, marriages. And it says that charity beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and it endures all things. Verse 8 goes on to say, Charity never faileth, but whatever there, uh, or wherever there be prophecies, they shall fail. And where there be tongues, they shall cease. And where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity or love will not fail. And so it's talking about the strength that love truly has inside of our lives. And, and it's amazing to think that this word love has so much power over our lives and so much control in the things that we do and the people we, we meet around us in so many circumstances in Jesus' name. And so I'm going to read these couple paragraphs to, to just introduce this lesson to you tonight. It is the apex of the greatest story ever told, a place between heaven and earth. Just days, perhaps, hours before, Jesus had declared, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And it was a grim allusion to the gruesome death on the horizon. It was a death of humi humiliation, painful betrayal, unfairness, and physical and emotional horror. The songwriter, Scott Wesley Brown, so aptly pinned, he carried the weight of the world upon his shoulders. It was the most gruesome and unfair exhibition of love, and love that was in action. It was love predicated upon the direst of needs, which is redemption. Jesus became the spotless lamb, sacrificed once for all the sins of the world. The writer of Hebrews would later so beautifully pen the motivational force driving Jesus' long sacrifice, saying this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Through the matted blood on his brow and clouding, er, clouding in his eyes, the shredded flesh hanging from his ribs and the splintered cross and thorny crown piercing his skin. Jesus cried, it is finished. Love bore all things, hoped all things, and it endured all things. Love didn't fail, but love won. True love always does win. So we must remember that tonight as we're going through this lesson. 
that true love doesn't fail, but it's ultimately going to win. It's going to take us to the winning team. It's going to take us to the winning side in Jesus' name. It's going to take us to those streets of gold where we're able to live with him. It's going to take us away from these places that are absolutely painful for all of eternity. But for right now, love is something that we have to work on and continue forward in because it will take us to some of those places. So speaking of the first blank in your book here, love endures short-sightedness. It endures short-sightedness. It is the temptation of all disciples to lose sight of the big picture. The call of a disciple is to run with patience the race that is set before us. But as we are running that race, sometimes we can lose sight of that big picture. Because if you think about it, we as human beings, as as has been stated in previous lessons along this line, we like to run the path that has the least resistance in it, in Jesus' name. We like to run the path that is probably downhill, slightly sloped, so it's not too steep or anything like that, but just enough to give us that momentum so that we can just keep going down and down and down. No bumps or nothing to, to have to hop over or any of that sort of thing. It's the path that we truly like and the path that we truly like to go down. I, I remember when we climbed um, um, Cloud Peak a, a couple summers ago, going down that path, you're, you're going uphill for the first um, so many miles. So it's like eight miles that you're constantly going uphill. And it's not super steep, but it's just enough of a slope where you start out on it and you're thinking, man, like I can do this for quite a while. But then after eight miles of it, you're thinking, man, this is pretty rough. And you get to the end of that eighth mile and you realize now I have to go straight up for five miles over boulders and rocks. And you get to the top of the peak and you turn around and you come back over those boulders and rocks. And even though the ground is slightly sloped down on your way back down, it's the most grueling thing ever because you're thinking, man, I just did all this crazy stuff. My body's worn down and it's telling me to quit and I don't want to continue. But I know I need to continue on in order to make it to the finish because I have nothing to sleep in for the night and that sort of thing. If you take that and you stretch it out over the long term of life, that's really what life begins to come when we truly begin to live for Jesus. That is a path that isn't necessarily the easiest, but it's a path that is set before us that we have to begin to run the race on and we have to begin to overcome the hurdles in that to to accomplish those things. But if we're in the middle of that and we lose sight of the big picture because of the big mountains that are around us and we lose sight of that finish line in the end, then we eventually just get lost and we never cross that finish line. But the goal is to cross that finish line eventually. Not the first person, not even the second person, even if you come in dead last. The goal is to cross that finish line no matter what you have to do to cross that finish line. If you are crawling on your hands and knees to cross that finish line, the goal is to cross that finish line in the end time. And so that's what we want to do inside of the kingdom of God. And so instantly with these things, we see that the disciples had the same challenge that we had because they were human beings as well, that they did not want to see sacrifice. And if you want to turn with me to Matthew 16, um, I, I just want to show you this scripture. I'll show you that Peter was one of the disciples, and he was one of these people who had an issue with uh, the, the sacrifice. So Matthew chapter 16, and we'll start in, in verse um, Let's see, 21, I think we'll start there, in 16 and 21. And we'll see that Peter, he also struggled with this idea of losing sight of the big picture in the end. And it said, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. 
So Jesus is telling them, guys, I'm going to have to go here. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to end up dead in the end of it. And these guys, I mean, you would be shocked if you're standing in front of Jesus, God in the flesh here, who has done all these amazing miracles, who is only just beginning in this incredible, amazing ministry that could go on for years and years and create the world's biggest mega church and all that sort of stuff at this time. And they're, they're looking at him and they're like, Jesus, you're going to go die and give all this stuff up? It's not making sense here. And so in verse 22, we kind of see Peter's thought process, and he said, Peter took him and he began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. So he's saying, God, Jesus, you, you don't need to do this. This is ridiculous. I don't know what you're thinking, but this is a wild idea that you are about ready to do here. But then look at what Jesus says unto him. He says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. And then he explains why he just said this unto Peter. He said, Thou savorest not the things that are of God, but those things that are of men. But basically what he's telling Peter is, you don't desire the things that are of God, but you're desiring the things of men at this current time period. Another way that you could begin to put this is Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, the things of men, that, that stuff's easy stuff. But when you begin to take on the things of God, sometimes there's going to be some sacrifices and some hard things that you're going to have to begin to do that don't make sense, that are going to hurt and aren't going to be fun, but they're the right thing to do because it's the kingdom of God and that's the ultimate thing that we want to seek and not just the pleasure or the will of men and these things that are going on here. That's why Jesus gets so blunt with Peter telling him this because he's saying, Peter, your love inside of you has got to go much further and what you're beginning to point out right now. I mean, we could go on with this. We could do these amazing things throughout life. But I have something more important that I need to go. I need to go and die so that all of sins, all these sins for every person, not only here but in the future, can be remitted and life can be restored to mankind in Jesus' name. He said, there is a purpose in what I am doing here in the sacrifice that I'm beginning to commit. It begins to show us that maybe sometimes those goofy things that God asks us to do even though they seem like a really big sacrifice and the craziest thing and it's just going to destroy the world and completely put things to an end, maybe it's not such a bad idea if it is truly coming from the voice of God. Again, you begin to see why it's so important that our spirit yields unto God. Why it's so important that when he begins to speak something to us, we can hear it. First of all, we can hear it. But then when we hear it, we begin to act on it immediately. Because if we don't, we can become desensitized to what God has for us here. And so if we continue in these, these PowerPoints here, we will see that Jesus repeatedly taught his disciples this here, that discipleship was about saving one's soul and not gaining things here on this earth. Jesus first told his disciples the most important thing about being a disciple or being a Christian is to save your soul. The scripture says it also what, what, you know, for, for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul. What profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That, that we could gain everything around us, but there is no point in that if we end up losing our soul on the last day when we're standing in judgment before him. That there is no purpose inside of that. And so after rebuking P Peter, Jesus uttered the, these, that ultimatum there. And, and I think it says it here again on the screen. He said unto his disciples, if many, any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you look at the rest of those scriptures in, that, 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 that in Matthew chapter 16, you will see that there, that he's saying that, that you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross. 
and follow after me. And it's an incredible thing to think about. If we continue the scripture here, verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, he shall find it. For what, man, or for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? I didn't realize that this was this next scripture here. But it just so happens to, to work that way. But Jesus is giving us a strong point here. He's saying, man, if you are willing to give up your life, if you are willing to give up what you have here now, if you're willing to sacrifice what you have now, you're going to gain it in the end. It's going to be well worth it. It's going to be profitable unto you. It's going to be a blessing unto you. But you've got to be willing to do that right now. And so as disciples of Jesus, we must see this big picture. We want to see the big pictures, the, the, the big picture that God has given to us. And ultimately, if we want to look at the big, big picture, we can see heaven in the future, and that is our, our big picture, that that is a goal that we want to walk into the streets of heaven. First of all, for ourselves, and then second of all, I want to have somebody right there next to me that I'm walking in those, those streets with in Jesus' name, somebody that I'm taking across that as well. This, the Wisdom and Power of the Cross, this, this book that J.T. Pugh, he spoke the ongoing work of the cross, and he stated, though Christ had triumphantly triumphed judicially, his case will not rise in complete triumph until the work of the cross is finished in the earth. He continued, the work of the cross is still present in the earth, extended through commitment to the church, and each disciple must embrace the ongoing sacrificial and life-changing lifestyle of the cross. That it's something that is still impacting the world today, which is incredible. So in Jesus' name, I, I want to ask you a question here. Has anybody heard of the prosperity doctrine? Anybody willing to say, yes, you have, brother? Over here, Does, do you guys want to explain what it is? You want to speak up? Uh, the way I understand the prosperity doctrine is basically that uh, if God, God wants us all to be blessed, and so the only thing God says that we're not happy is if we're suffering and uncomfortable, and we're in bad circumstances, so we have all things. It's basically that our soul is not Yes, you explained it very well. Could everybody hear that? The prosperity doctrine. So let me ask you this question based upon that. How has this doctrine polluted what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And this is for anybody. How has this doctrine polluted what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Our own identity, and so we can 
Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. And, and I think we can all agree with that, that this prosperity doctrine isn't something that is biblical. It's not something that is taught out of, out of scriptures and things like that. Now, do I believe that God will bless people at certain times? Absolutely. But do I believe that because you're a Christian that you're going to have the nicest house and the nicest car and the most stacked bank account and everything like that? No, we don't see that in scripture. We don't see that with the apostles. We don't see that with the people around us. And so it's contrary. It puts that confusion in people's mind that, that uh, you know, this, this doctrine of, of saying, man, I, I get all these things and I don't have to sacrifice much to be that servant of God or to be a disciple of his. And so that's what we're talking about tonight is the endurance of love, letting it be something that endures or something that takes us to a deeper place. And so you, you'll, you'll probably have more answers to, to come to that as we, we dive into this lesson further tonight. But it says this, that like Peter, even though we lose focus, Jesus lovingly endures our short-sightedness and still offers us his kingdom. So in John 16, 33, it says, in the world you shall have tribulation. That's what Jesus speaks about. And, and he's telling us that as we walk through this, this life, it's not going to be just the biggest pat of cake or the, the easiest thing that we have ever went through. And Peter himself, as a human being, he made this, this mistake of saying, well, God, we don't need to go this way. But, but Jesus tells him, man, this is what's got to happen. This is what's going to have to happen here. And even though Peter was at a place where he was maybe ignorant at that point, or he came up with short-sightedness, where he wasn't able to see that big picture, but he was looking at the things that were right in front of him, Jesus still offered him forgiveness and still offered him the kingdom of God after that point in time. Peter went on to do some incredible things and write some amazing books inside of the gospel. And so this one incident could have destroyed him, but he didn't allow it to destroy him. He learned from it and he readjusted what he was looking at and allowed his vision to see the bigger picture rather than what was just before him. And so Jesus offered him forgiveness right away on, on some of those things there, which is an incredible thing. And that's part of what our love and what we're speaking about tonight is that love has to be able to overcome short-sightedness with people around us, even if they're making the mistake of not necessarily knowing or understanding what God has done for them or what God has done for us or what, 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 what the reason we're doing some things inside of our lives. And so the, the, the scripture says that you will have tribulation inside of the world but Paul identified the component, uh, components of the kingdom of God. He's saying it's not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. These are things that we should desire to put on, not, not the, the, the money around us or the things around us, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can find that in Romans 14 and 17. And when we do not lose sight of our eternal hope, the love of God shares with us his kingdom, his peace that passes all understanding and joy that is unspeakable and righteousness that is unmerited before so many things and I can tell you alone that those three things those things alone can take you leaps and bounds more so than having other blessings inside of your life that just having the blessing of righteousness inside of your life and living right for God that alone can do some incredible things because you're not worried about going to bed with some some grum um, on your, your, your person that night or, or doing something terrible. You're not worried about the things that you have done that day. And it's very easy to repent and get rid of the little things that you might have messed up on. But it's no longer these big things that are constantly dragging you to places that you never wanted to go before. And so we can be thankful for these things that God has given to us. 
And so I want you to think of this question inside. I'm not going to have us answer it openly. But which component of the kingdom of God do you presently need most? Do you need peace or joy or do you need righteousness? Which of these three things do you think would impact you the most at this particular point in time? Because these are things that in this scripture we're saying are things that we ultimately need. And if we're going to allow love to work through us, these are three things that love can really help us in Jesus' name. And so if we continue forward here, we see that love endures and it embraces the shameful around us. Not only does it endure short-sightedness, but love is willing to draw close to those whose lives are shameful. We learn this in Scripture. We see it in this story that she was unwelcome and uninvited. The place was prepared and the invitation given for the holy and the worthy to attend. Yet when she found out where Jesus was, she came, she wept, and she worshipped. And the response of the religious was predictable. They had skepticism and they had judgment. But the skepticism and judgment were not toward the woman, but they were toward Jesus. They said, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. The Pharisees could not comprehend a love that welcomed the touch of a shameful person inside of this environment. They could not comprehend it. They could not wrap their minds around it because of what they had been taught. And may it never be said of us that we get to a place where we are not willing to welcome the shameful or the people who have shame inside of their lives or those things that are going on. It even occurs in some of us at different points in times where we have to begin to dismiss this. But man, we, we shouldn't do that. But we should invite everybody in to come and touch the garment of Jesus around us. But the Pharisees, they could not let their love take them past what they had been taught taught or the ideas that they thought were inside of their head to welcome this person who was shameful. And they could not wrap their head around Jesus being this super great person, yet he was allowing this person who they thought was the lowest of the low to come and touch him and to speak to him in that manner, in that place there. They couldn't wrap their heads around that. And so we see this, that not only did Christ's love welcome the touch, but it was willing to speak up to those who stood in judgment. Not only did it, his love welcome that touch, but it was willing to speak up to those who stood in judgment. You see, Jesus did in this case as he did with the woman caught in the act of adultery. That love embraces the shameful. Love embraces those people that are around us. Love seeks to save that which is lost. And I wrote down this question for you all, but are you willing to let love make you look ridiculous because Jesus in front of all these people here who were spiritual and people who were supposed to know the scriptures and people who were supposed to know that he was God in the flesh and all these things Jesus in front of them he was willing to love somebody but that love for that person made him look absolutely ridiculous to the people around him are you willing to go and sit at that lunch table with somebody who nobody else wants to sit around just so that you can maybe present to them the word of God are you willing to go speak to people inside of your life that nobody in this community wants to reach out to and touch? Are you willing to look ridiculous in the front of other people so that you can speak the word of God and the word of Jesus to people around you? 
That's when love truly begins to shine through. That's when love begins to take you to a new height that you have never experienced before. It's the the power that God has put inside of us to begin to step through some of those situations and reach some of those people that that need reached in Jesus' name. And I have told you many different stories of going through high school and seeing students sitting by themselves and going and being willing to sit at that table. And it caused ridicule and it caused people to come after me and all that sort of stuff. And it was amazing how much people began to know my name name because I tried to sit with some of these kids rather than knowing my name from just being a student inside of the school and that sort of thing. But I knew that those, those students desperately needed love inside of their lives at some points in time. And it looked ridiculous to people and people around me said it was ridiculous, but I knew that it was the right thing to do because love ultimately stood, stands in the face of judgment. Love's willing to stand in that face and say, you know what? I'm doing what's right because that's what I know the scripture tells me to do and that's what God has asked me to do. And so I am going to do what's right no matter what it costs me in Jesus' name. No matter what it costs me, I'm going to be willing to fight for those that are around me. So Jesus did this. And it also says that love is willing to forgive. Jesus, God in the flesh. We see this love looks past the shame It ignores the crowd and it embraces the broken. Love does what others will not. Love gets battered by criticism as it draws close to those that others shun. Ultimately, love endures. That's what that scripture is saying. It's that love endures. It's going to take you through those times. It's going to last through those times. But if you have true love, it's going to be able to last through that so that you can reach out to somebody who may need Jesus or may need the experience that is there. And Jesus, God in the flesh, he himself was willing to forgive this lady here who had done so many terrible things that even the community was saying she's just a disaster. He did it not only to her, but he did it to the adulterer, and he did it to so many other people, and he did it to us ultimately, that his love came down and reached for every single one of us. And so for us to not take that and be willing to spread it to other people, be willing to be shamed for the love that we show to other people, we can't do that. We can't afford to let that happen inside of our lives, but we must take this love that God has given to us in Jesus' name. And so this goes on to say that love endures selfishness and, and pride, that it endures those things and it begins to overcome those and helps us overcome some of those things in Jesus' name. We, we all struggle with pride, I think, at a certain points in time, but this is a perfect way to help yourself overcome pride, is begin to do the things that God has asked you to do. Because pretty soon, people around you are going to begin to say, man, that's a little weird, that doesn't seem exactly right. Or when you go and you push through the crowd so that you can reach that one person, man, your pride's going to get destroyed and ate up and that sort of thing by the people around you. But it's a good thing. I mean, you're, you're really just getting rid of some of those things. You're getting rid of some of the things that cause us issues later on inside of life. And so again, continuing forward with the next point here, I know I'm flying through some of these, but we, we have just such a short time to get through so much here tonight, that the disciples saw discipleship as a pathway to privilege, and Jesus saw it as a pathway to sacrifice. And so through all these, these cases, Jesus is beginning to demonstrate to them that just reaching out to somebody, giving them gold coin or whatever isn't meant so you can get a pat on the back. It's not meant for your privilege. But man, these things are meant, to, it's going to cause sacrifice inside of your life. It's going to begin to cause issues when you truly begin to love people. And so these disciples, if we look at them, we are going to see here that they saw this as a pathway to privilege. 
But it is not that. It's ultimately a pathway to sacrifice. And if you are here tonight and you want to be a Christian, man, it's a pathway to sacrifice. And I know that's a challenge and it's hard to hear, but it is what it is. We all know those coworkers inside of our, our workplaces who dutifully panders to the boss. That everything the boss asks, man, they will do it in a split second. Man, if the policy says to do this little thing, man, they're going to do it in the split second so that they, they are instantly on the boss's checklist of, man, my best employer, whatever it is. I, I think we all know those people who will just be right in line and that, that sort of thing. Just saying the right things, eagerly volunteering for projects and towing the proverbial line, as we would say it. But it happens frequently even in Christian ministry. A person caters to the leader, volunteers, and strives to be noticed. And in both cases, there is no inherent error in their actions. The error is when those things are done with the goal of privilege in mind. Many people desire the privileges that come with faithfulness, the position, prestige, and recognition, but fewer serve in order to achieve the permanent posture of a servant. Fewer do these things to become a servant. And I, I told you that tonight these things might be a little bit blunt and a little bit in our face, but man, if we could do that, man, I want to serve God. I, I, I want the, the, these things around me, but I want to do it because I want to be a servant. I, I want to do it because I, I want to experience God and I want others to experience God and who He is in Jesus' name. There's that challenge that begins to come down inside of our lives that, man, we want to be servants in some of these things. And if we have any sort of ministry that we're doing or Bible studies that we're teaching or we're reading the Bible or we're in the prayer room just to please somebody else or to please somebody inside of this room, then we are not doing it for the right reason. But we should be doing it because we want to serve God and we want a relationship with Him in Jesus' name because it's going to fail us if we are, are doing it for any other motive or any other reason. Because if we're just here based upon the, the holding on to the shirt tail of somebody else when we get to heaven we're going to have to let go of that and we're going to have to stand based upon what we have built inside of our own personal life and if we don't know God ourselves then we only know him from the worship of other people inside of this room and the prayers of other people inside of this room then we're ultimately probably not going to cross that 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 line to get into heaven one day but man, we must get an experience with Jesus that we want to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to pray. I want to know and understand you. And that's when love begins to flow into our lives. And, and we begin to see that, man, God, whatever you ask of me to do, that I am going to do it as a servant, not because I need to please this world or not because I need to please the people around me, but because your scripture tells me to do it. And you once loved me. And so now it's my turn to turn around and say, God, I want to love you. And I, I want my love to endure over all of my pride and the things inside of my life that are saying, man, you can't do this because your friends are going to talk bad about you. Well, you know what? If God is asking you to do it, it's time to start loving him and saying, man, man, God, I want to give you just a portion of the love back that you have given to me over and over again. You can see how love endures through pride, that it begins to take us through pride, that it can overcome that hump. But if we're letting pride get in our way of, of saying, man, you don't need to do that, that's something that, you know, the pastor teaches, but man, you don't got to listen to that. Uh, I'm just saying that, that that might be a little bit of pride, that we have to begin to shut that down because love needs to endure through those things in Jesus' name. The scripture says that we would, that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. 
And their desire was a place of prestige. They were asking this of Jesus. A Jew, both the displeasure of the other ten disciples and the principle of selflessness from Jesus. And Jesus declared back to them, Whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. Jesus then concluded by noting the loving and sacrificial reason he had come to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That ultimately, the ones that are low will become the great in the end, but the ones that are great now will become the ones that are low in that end time. Jesus is giving these parables and speaking these things to us. He's telling us that, man, we need to be humble about what we're doing. We need to desire to be like him inside of this life. And if we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to face struggles. We're going to face things that we need to overcome in Jesus' name. This is, is, is strong stuff. I think it would just be fitting maybe if we just lift our hands here just for a couple seconds and let's just let God impact us with some of these things that have been said here. God, I just know you're doing some incredible things tonight, God, and I'm believing that your love is flowing in this place, God, and we desire to have more of it, but God, we desire to love you more, Jesus. I pray that if there is anything, God, inside of my heart, inside of my life that has caused me not to love you the way that I should, God, that I would push that aside, Lord, that I would get rid of the pride that's inside of my life and rid of those things, God, that has tried to be prideful inside of my life, God, and help us to be humble in this place, Jesus, before you, Lord, that we desire you in your ways, Jesus. Jesus, your sacrifice, the way that you desire things to be done, God, and not our ways, God, or our mindsets, but Jesus, we need more of you in this place, God, and I'm believing that you will do that tonight, God, for every person that is here, God. Help us to see your love, Lord, so we can spread it to those around us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is such a good God in Jesus' name. He is a good God, and we are thankful for that love in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And so this continues to say that to be a true loving disciple is to look for ways to serve and to not be served. You can see why when you first come in the church, absolutely, we should be pampering that person, serving them, all that sort of stuff, that that sort of thing. I'm more than willing to do that. But then there comes a point in time where Jesus says that we must become his disciple. And to become his disciple, we must pick up our cross and walk after him. And in order to walk after him, to be a true loving disciple is to look for ways to serve others and to not be served yourself. And this has been something that I'm sure can be challenging to many different people. And so this caused great disputing between so many of of these people in Scripture. And so in Mark 9 and 35, we see this scripture that if any man desire to be first, the same shall be the last of all and servant of all. Jesus emphasized this so many times throughout the the New Testament, just serve, serve, serve. And and you begin to see it even when he begins or, or when he does pass away, people like Paul People like John and Mark, these guys who are just beaten and, and bruised for what they're believing in, yet they're still enduring it and going through that service and that sacrifice so that they can reach people in many different places, and they're willing to let love take them through that in Jesus' name. I'm going to read what this says here because it, it again, is kind of thought-provoking. But among modern-day disciples, a dangerous consumerism mentality exists in many who attend Churches. This is talking about our world today. 
Many view the church as being there to serve them. And although attending a church with meaningful and enriching ministries is the desire of most disciples of Jesus, too many attend for the primary purpose of being served. The focus is on how does the church or how the church does or does not suit their needs. And Jesus' voice echoes through the centuries. He says, serve. Not be served, but he says, serve. This says, find a place to volunteer your spiritual gifts. Sacrifice your time. Invest your energy. Put yourself last and understand your gifts are from God. They are for his purpose and for his glory. And you are simply a part of the glorious entity called the body of Christ. We see that the apostles served. They didn't become apostles and learn these amazing things of God and then sit in a church pew and say, man, just keep feeding me, Jesus, keep pouring this in. But Jesus said, guys, it's now time for you to begin, go out there and, and do something with what you have. They, they said, man, it's not time to get comfortable here, but it's time to go out there and begin to move places and things like that. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't come into church and get down on this altar on Sunday nights and let God do the powerful things that he has done the past few weeks. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that every service and that sort of thing, but what I'm saying is that our daily lives have to begin to mold around this aspect of now it's time to begin to serve a little bit somewhere. Now it's time to begin to do something for the kingdom of God. It's time to pick up some slack that may Maybe I've seen somebody else need some help with, or maybe I'm going to offer to help teach a Bible study, or I'm going to offer to help clean the church, or I'm going to offer, I mean, there's a million different things that you can do, and if you need something to do, believe me, we can come up with something for you to do, because the, the, the opportunities are endless inside of a church even of this size in Jesus' name. We, we need a bass player, we need drums, I mean, we, we need so many different things for people to be involved with in Jesus' name, but we need people who are willing to step out and say, I want to be a part of that, and I want to serve others in the kingdom of God. But ultimately, we can begin by serving Jesus inside of our household, serving him by reading our scripture, serving him by praying, serving him by worship and, and in getting involved in these things in Jesus' name. Again, you begin to see why it's so essential that we begin to yield ourselves unto the spirit of God, that we begin to pause and just say, God, what, what do you want to have happen inside of my life right now? And it is a, a big, unfortunate thing that in today's world, so many people begin to hear the voice of God, and the, when, it be, when it comes to something they don't like, they just let it begin to skip off of their head, and eventually they begin to not hear that portion of his voice anymore, and it's so detrimental to what God wants to do inside of their life, because he wants to do so many great things, yet because they, they were skipping over this one thing, they become desensitized to what God is speaking or saying. So I ask you tonight that if God has asked you to do something, if God is asking you to serve in a particular way, stop letting it skip away, but, but begin to say, okay, God, if you're going to ask me to do that, then I'm going to begin to take steps and be willing to step into that, that place there. I'm willing to move into these places that you have asked of me in Jesus' name. Again, to be a disciple is not to get prestige, but it's to sacrifice. Jesus made it clear. I know that's not the thing that we want to hear. I know that it hurts sometimes when we think about that. But it truly comes down to that point and that purpose. So this goes on to say that when you serve, avoid the danger of allowing position or gifting to go to your head. There will be people in the end time that had a position, that had a gifting, but they didn't know Jesus. The scripture says that. And they won't make it in some of those things. There's a danger when we let things go to our head and who we are. 
there is absolutely a danger when we begin to justify ourselves based upon what we are doing for the kingdom of God. So we must be careful with that as well. But it is a requirement that we serve. It says this, that Paul warned the Roman church members not to think of themselves too highly and to remember that they were all one body in Christ and every one member one of another, that they were a group together. And although Paul was an apostle and a person of great gifting and influence, he made it clear to his followers that he was there to look out for their interests. This is what Christian ministry and leadership looks like, looking out for one another's interests in Jesus' name, that, that we want each other to make it to the end, that we want people to come and experience Jesus if we, if we have experienced him. We want people to experience that love that is there in Jesus' name, but by doing that, it means that we're going to have to endure some things, and the only way that we're going to endure those things is by love. And so let's look at some things that love begins to endure inside of our lives. And, and we'll finish this out tonight by looking at these different aspects. That love endures pain and betrayal. Anyone who takes up a cross and follows Jesus must understand to be a disciple is to lovingly endure hurts. Does anybody have that down pat yet? <laughs> to lovingly endure these hurts that we go through in life? I mean... Wow, like I, I don't think any of us could raise our hand and say, man, I, I want to go through some hurts and some pain right now. God, I love this. Come on, God, like give me some more. This is good stuff. No, like it's not fun. It, it, it hurts deeper than even just going, you know, to the gym and doing that super hard workout. And they, they say no pain, no gain and that sort of stuff. But I mean, truly, that, that's what this is beginning to speak about. And we think about, man, these hurts and these things that we're going to go through to expand our love what it's going to be like when we come out on the other side and we truly have this bigger picture and we're so much stronger and we're able to endure some things. That's incredible in Jesus' name. And so we see that w whether we follow Jesus or not, we will endure painful situations in life. Jesus said it would be so. And invariably, those hurts came at the hands of other people or people around him. So there are generally three ways that people can hurt us, and these are the three things that we're going to talk about and finish out tonight with. The three ways that people can hurt us and how our love can endure those things. The first one is hurts of commission. Hurts of commission. These are situations where people commit intentional acts to wound us. They commit intentional acts to wound us. Probably the most common that we begin to think about or know about. They stab us in the back, take advantage of us, or intentionally abuse us. And in this time, love is put to the test, and we are wise to look to the example of Jesus. He was beaten and bruised, yet he endured to demonstrate love. Peter described Jesus' suffering beautifully, stating that Jesus left us an example, that you should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was re reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not those people around him. He didn't say, hey, you guys take me off this cross and you'll see who I'll truly become and I'll take care of y'all. I mean, he didn't say those things. He, he was God in the flesh, and I, I, I've explained it from this platform before, but, but Jesus, I mean, you have to understand how frustrating that truly had to be, that he was the one that created these things that were around him that were doing this very brutal stuff to him. 
that he was the one who designed this whole thing and that these people around him were betraying the one that had created them. And they, they weren't even thinking about that or knowing about that and what they were doing. And they, they were the ones that were crucifying so brutally, but yet he was still willing to say, man, you know, let this sin not lay to their charge, that I'm going to go to this cross and I'm going to die for everything that they have done. I don't remember who it was, but in one of our discipleship classes, we listened to a, a message about forgiveness. And inside of that message, he truly spoke about that you, can, you know you have forgiven somebody when you say, put me on that cross before you ever let them go to the cross, God, and let me die for them and so that they can make it to heaven as well. That's when you truly know that you have forgiven somebody. And I began to think about that inside of my mind and maybe situations or people that I hadn't forgiven. And I was like, wow, can I say right now, God, put me on that cross for them so that that sin of theirs is forgiven. A, a literal cross that, that we say, God, you know, I'd be willing to go to the cross to see that, that thing forgiven of them. When you can truly say that about people around you, that's when you know that, man, I have, I've been able to forgive some people. And, and when I first heard that, I thought that I was good on forgiveness. But when I started thinking about that, of would I be willing to go to the cross of those people who so brutally stabbed me in the back, or who hurt me, or did those things terrible to me, would I be willing to do that? Then that's when I really began to think, man, I have some work to do, and some things I need to begin to work through, and some things I need to overcome, and that sort of stuff. And I'm still not saying that I'm perfect about some of these things, but truly, you know, the, the, the biggest thing that when we go to the cross and we die out to those things, we let it go at that point in time. We, we begin to say, God, I, I, not only do I want to go to the cross, but I want you to help me forget about this. I don't want to remember what they have done. I mean, obviously, we're not going to want to fall back in the same traps and that sort of stuff, but I do want to forget those things, God. I don't want to remember them, and I want to truly forgive and dismiss what they have done to me in Jesus' name. That's what true forgiveness does. That's what true love begins to do inside of our lives. And so hurts of commission are things that can be overcome by the love of God and by us loving one another. Again, love endures pain and betrayal. And so let me ask you this question. Why is it difficult to be intentionally hurt and not respond in kindness? Why do you think it's, it's difficult to be intentionally hurt and not respond in kindness? In kind. You want to explain? Absolutely. That's a good point. He said we've got to be in, in prayer like Jesus was um, before he went through all that. I mean, I, what, what if we pray every night, you know, God, I know there's going to be hurts coming tomorrow, but let me have the same attitude that you had. Let me have the same endurance that you have, that I want to forgive these people. I don't want it to drag on for days, but God, I want to be able to just instantly say, man, you know, brother, I disagree with you, but I forgive you in Jesus' name. Man, like that, that would be incredibly powerful. That's awesome. That's incredible. In Jesus' name. Anybody else? Why it's difficult sometimes.
That's good. Yeah, emotion, another struggle that we have that we have to get over because it's so instant. And it can be on fire. You've got to be careful with it. So I think it's true. I think what you've stated, uh, some things that we can work on, some things that we can dive deeper into in Jesus' name. The second one that we have here are hurts of omission, hurts of omission. At times we get wounded not because of what others do to us, but because of what they fail to do. Spouses go through this when they do not receive the love and support that they need in trying times. And perhaps your friend does not reach out when you're going through a difficulty. Maybe even your pastor does not seem too attentive when you are going through a trial or you are discouraged at a certain point in time. Hurts of omission, although not intentional, are painful nonetheless. Has anybody experienced these before? I'm sure almost everybody has. Where we think that somebody should have done something, but they, they did not do that. And so Jesus was not immune to this kind of disappointment either. He endured all things, to, or he endured his disciples not following through on his re- request for them to watch, to be watchful in his time of need. If you think about that, Jesus knew what he was going to face at the cross. He knew that he was going to die for every one of those disciples. And the people he was closest to, who he thought would you know, be, be the best buds inside of that, he said, hey guys, I just want you to stay up and I want you to watch and be ready for these things to happen. Just, just be prepared here. And what did they do? They fell asleep on him at that particular point in time. Think of how irritating that would be when you just came out of this awesome prayer meeting and here's all your buddies asleep and they're not watching one bit to try to help support you. They're not trying to keep the enemy away one bit at that particular time. They just keep falling asleep. And he wakes them up and goes back to pray and comes back and sure enough, they're asleep again. I mean, it's just incredible what you begin to see here in Jesus and in, in, in this, this sort of thing. But it was a herd of a mission that he easily had to overcome. And, and that's a perfect example where Jesus didn't have time to sit there and dwell and say, man, like, I, I don't like you as my friends anymore, and I'm just upset, and I'm going to go home and do all the, the, this power. No, Jesus had to instantly get over that, because within seconds, there were going to be people walking up to him to take him to prison, and to begin beating him, and begin bruising him, and that sort of thing. He didn't have time to, to mope about what his, his buddies had done around him, but Jesus showed us what the, the perfect example inside of that thing, that if we can instantly begin to overcome some of these things and realize that some of these hurts aren't done intentionally or that people aren't just trying to stab us sometimes. Maybe it is just something out of a mission that they accidentally had done to us. Then we can begin to overcome this stuff a lot easier and begin to work through it sometimes. And sometimes it just takes communication. Maybe somebody doesn't know that you're going through a situation. Maybe people don't understand circumstances inside of your life. And even though we pray in this church and even though the leaders of this church pray, we, we don't come out here and instantly know every single per- person's what, what happened that day and the day before and that sort of thing. And so to not be able to work with that, sometimes it's our own fault that we have to begin to, to um, step it up basically in our own lives, our communication with people and say, hey, I'm going through some hard times and I need your help inside of this instead of getting upset with people. And so again, this is when your love inside of you has to begin to endure that betrayal and endure pain inside of your life, these hurts of omission. 
And last but not least, we also have this hurt of uh, incomprehension, the hurts of incomprehension, that there are times when people put us through pain and have no comprehension of what they are doing is wrong. Perhaps they embarrass us in front of others while correcting us, and maybe a friend or loved one said something that is true but harmful nonetheless. In such cases, they often feel that they are doing or saying what needs to be said, and we, however, are left bewildered and in pain, oftentimes thinking or dwelling upon these things that keep us up at night. And so again, in Jesus, we have the prime example of going through pain in the hands of people who lacked comprehension of their wrong. In their minds, they were doing what the, the right thing when they were betraying Jesus or when they were crucifying. They were doing what they thought was right. Yet Jesus looked at them, and through the eyes of pain and disappointment, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do powerful words because he knew and understood that they did not comprehend what they were actually doing at that point in time, that they did not comprehend what was actually happening inside of that circumstance there. And so we must have these same forgivenesses for people around us to put us through these similar hurts in Jesus' name. We must have that compassion and that love that will endure through these things because if we, we lash out at somebody, then we risk causing them to walk away from Jesus and we don't want to do that. And so we must never lose sight of a singular truth, that we endure the pain for the prize in the end, as I said at the beginning. The scripture again says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, the things that he did out of joy because of the love that he had for every single one of us. Not that it was the, the, the most amazing thing to endure, but he did it because he loved us. And so our goal is to be like him and glorify our Father in heaven as he has done in Jesus' name. And sometimes if we're going to do this, it means enduring our own crosses. Additionally, our goal is to lead others to Christ. And the way that we do that is through loving them, as we learned in that first lesson of this. Paul noted this. He said, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He then went on to describe how diligently he tried to reach all people by all means. In Jesus' name. He also declared that I am made. Let's see here. There we go. Oh, perfect. He declared that I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. And this is what? 9, 19 through 23. I just did. Sorry, this is a little bit different inside of my book versus what's showing up on the screen here. It's okay. And though the Jews, I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Again, he's speaking, man, I, I became a servant in whatever environment I was in. I was willing to look foolish in front of people so that I could reach other people. And he continues to say, to them that are without the law is without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak, and I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. 
Again, and he says, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. He's saying, man, I began to, to be a chameleon and, and fit into some of these areas that, that uh, you know, to these places where it looked foolish to the world around me, but I knew I needed to go there to reach people and to let love shine through. And if we let these hurts, these three hurts that we talked about, become overdwelling inside of our lives, then we're not going to be able to reach through them and reach people in Jesus' name. But those hurts are going to come, but we must remember that the love God has given to us is a love that can endure pain, and it's a love that can endure the, these, these things that are thrown at us in Jesus' name. And so the last point tonight says this, that we endure so that we can help others grow in Christ. And if there's no other reason to do it, we ultimately do it to see ourselves walk across that finish line, but hold somebody else's hand that we can walk across the finish line with. And in fact, Paul rejoiced in his sufferings for the sake of the body of Christ, the church. He rejoiced in these sufferings that he went through. And our love must be God's love, and it must endure some of these things. I'm going to finish by reading this here tonight, and I think this will wrap this up. Some would call it po a po poetic justice. A man who was so vicious in inflicting pain and suffering on others would ultimately suffer the loss of all things. But it didn't happen overnight. First, he would have to endure some of the most harrowing and painful of circumstances. He was shipwrecked. He was whipped five times, beaten with rods three times, and in perils of robbers, waters, and even his own countrymen. He endured weariness, painfulness, hunger, thirst, cold, and nakedness. Ultimately, he would write from prison that he had suffered the loss of all things. And although Paul had misguidedly inflicted so much pain on Christians before his conversion, he would himself endure much of the same, and he would do so with wisdom and understanding. He comprehended the process through which God takes a disciple. Listen and learn to the process of how to endure the discipleship journey and the result thereof. He said, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts in the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When we endure, the love of God by His Spirit is shed abroad. And it is not easy to endure, but the very endure communication, or the very word endure, communicates the idea of a possible difficult, long process. But if we will endure and allow our love to shine through the endurance, we will end up reflecting God's love, and in return, lead others to Christ. In the end, that is all that matters showing others that the love of Christ and leading them to a saving knowledge of the Savior. We want to do that in Jesus' name. If we could stand tonight.